You're listening to a Trav Market Media Network podcast, a podcast designed for you, the travel professional. Is there something you would like to hear or do you have feedback? Please write to us at podcast at travmarketmedia.com. Again, that's podcast with an S at travmarketmedia.com. Hello and welcome to Travel Radio. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and today's episode is Trek to Mount Everest Base Camp with expedition leader Carl Nessler. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. Thanks so much for having me, Megan. Absolutely. Carl, would you take a minute to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm Carl Nessler, originally from Germany, and I started working in the travel industry on the visual content producing video and photography in southern Africa for a while, uh, creating hotel portfolios, and then moving over to Latin America, which introduced me to my now very good friend and uh, technically boss of Anywhere.com, Zach Smith, um, who is the head of a vacation and booking platform. And for them, I transitioned from producing that visual content into a business development side, and also uh, travel planning for some of our higher-end clients. Um, and I'm currently, well, still 29 years old when this comes out, maybe 30. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've traveled pretty much for the past nine years of my life nonstop. I'm not really based anywhere at the moment, although the company headquarters are um, now actually in Los Angeles. I usually travel to our different teams in the different destinations that we operate in um, and then also guide two treks a year uh, with our Anywhere Plus program. Okay, great. And those two treks, one of the ones we're going to talk about today is to the Mount Everest Base Camp. And while we have a second, can you just quick describe the difference between trekking to the base camp and trekking or like climbing up the actual mountain so that if people want one thing and this podcast is talking about another, they can just turn it off. Absolutely. So there's a, there's a very big difference between climbing Mount Everest and trekking to Everest Base Camp. So the trek to Everest Base Camp takes you to around 17,600 feet. Actually, on the trek, we go to one lookout spot where we see the sunset on Mm. Everest, and that's around 18,500 feet. So that Mm. should be kind of our maximum elevation. And then the summit of Mount Everest is actually 29,029 feet. Um, And that is is a full-on climbing expedition, which usually takes around two months. uh, Yeah, two months in... um, in the springtime, because uh, there's a, a small summit window around mid-May that people usually make to the summit. And again, that is a full-on climbing expedition. We're doing a 16-day um, trip to Everest Base Camp. Twelve of those days is actual trekking. Okay, good to know. Well, then let's get <laughs> started right with your first experiences with Mount Everest. Um would you tell us about that and specifically, you know, your expectations and and then if, you know, Roland, did it meet those expectations, that sort of thing? 
Absolutely. So I actually worked as an expedition photographer on Mount Everest on the climbing expedition mm. uh, in 2014 for the very first time. And this was also my very first time to Nepal. Okay. Um, I was just amazed by um, the way up to base camp. It's, I mean, it still is to me the, the most beautiful trek uh, there is. The people, the landscape, um, it's just fascinating. And mm. then I ended up on this climbing expedition, which was cut short because of a um, avalanche that killed 16 people mm. um, and shut down the mountain. That was the first time in history that the government actually shut down the mountain and called off all expeditions. Mm. And we we were just at the beginning of that two-month uh, expedition and then decided to come back the next year, you know, thinking things would definitely go better. And did um, they? And, of course, yeah, exactly. And, uh, oh, and did they? No, yeah. they did not. Oh. That was 2015, um, the year of the 7.8 earthquake in Nepal yes. mm -hmm. uh, that killed thousands of people, unfortunately. And we were... I was actually on the mountain in Camp 2 when the earthquake hit. Mm. Um, it's a very strange sensation, almost as if you're standing in a subway, uh, in a New York subway, and it's, yeah, the, the glacier that we were camping on was shaking. Mm. Um, and sadly, uh, one of our expedition members, uh, our team doctor, died down in base camp. It was very, Holy cow. very tragic and very sad um, times because Nepal was so devastated at the time, you know, I, as I mentioned, over, over, I mean, thousands of people dying all over the country. Mm. Um, that's when I made the decision to operate uh, treks to Everest Base Camp myself, because I believe that this country really deserves tourism and tourism can be a great engine, um, you know, to boost uh, the economy again and, of course, boost morale and boost the exchange uh, between mm. people from all over the world. And yeah, that's 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 kind of when I made that decision. Going down, I remember just going down from base camp when again, of course, they shut down all climbing operations. Going down from base camp down the valley and seeing the destruction and mm. seeing how devastated my friends were, um, I made the decision that I want to bring people here and I, you know, I want to show them the smiles of Nepal and and the warmth that all these people have and the hospitality uh, and help, you know, be a part of of, of getting um, of the rebuilding process. Yep. So I was going to ask you at the end of the interview, just because that's where I inserted it, but uh, this began a, you know, kind of a love and a passion for a charity in Nepal. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Would um, you like to talk about it? You know, the, yeah. So the, when I came down from Everest 2015 and we saw the destruction that happened in the, uh, just in the Kumbu Valley, which is the valley that Everest is located in. Um, I knew that the Kumbu Valley specifically has a lot of international friends and um, supporters because, because of you know it's very famous and, and many people do visit it a year. Around twenty-five thousand people trek to Mount uh, to Mount Everest Base Camp every year. Mm. So I knew that you know there will be a support system in place. But a very good friend of mine. Uh, and now assistant guide Nara, he was from a village in particular that is around 13 hours from the capital, mm. uh, Kathmandu, although it's only around 80 miles distance. The roads mm. are so bad, it's almost inaccessible at certain stages. Mm. And that is really a place where no tourists come to, and they have also seen drastic uh, destructions. So we decided to, uh, the first step was to rebuild 
I'm sorry, to build a library and then rebuild the primary school of mm. the village. And the library functions as a community center, as a place to get together and also tackle some of the uh, bureaucracy uh, that they have to face in order to get funds to rebuild their houses. So mm. we had uh, people in place in that library that would help the, the, the villagers to to um, apply for those funds and, and, and yeah, be, be a support for their rebuilding process. Awesome. Okay, I have a link to that already built into the show notes. So if anyone wants to participate or donate, you can just click right through and get to their website. So... Thanks for thanks Thank for talking you so about much. that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk. Um, let's get back to your trip, if you don't mind. The question that I was going to ask is, was it like you were imagined? But it wasn't. It was rocked pretty substantially. When did you get? So, have you made the summit since then? Yes. So that's a very good question. Um, I was, as I said, an expedition photographer twice, mm-hmm. um, and then the athlete that I was supposed to photograph, the expedition that I was supposed to photograph, uh, decided to not return the following year. But the climbing permits that were already paid for, they were extended up until 2017. Uh-huh. So after leading um, my first treks to Everest Base Camp, I decided to climb Everest. Um, on my own, together with my very good friend and also assistant guide, uh, Jangbu, Pura Jangbu, who I had met um, in 2014 for the first time. He was a very young kid, uh, a kitchen boy at the time in our mm. expedition. And um, we had supported him uh, over those years, and he'd become a very close friend. Mm. And he uh, was looking for somebody to climb with as well. And oh, we decided to do kind of like an intercultural Nepalese German uh, expedition where, yeah, we, we share all the work. So we built our own base camp. Um, we switched. We always took turns in uh, cooking dinner, uh, although it was, it was, there was not a lot of variety, only potatoes, eggs, pasta, and some lentils. So whatever dish combination you can come up with, right. we had it. Um, and, uh, yeah, we spent, we spent uh, I mean, we brought up all our equipment, on his Yakster base camp and then climbed the mountain ourselves, uh, carrying all our own equipment and, yeah, managing everything, just the two of us. It was definitely a very challenging, physically challenging experience, but it ended up being a lot more challenging mentally mm. because mm. although we are, we're, you know, we're very good friends, it just really became a big challenge to spend this much time with somebody from, a completely different culture with a completely different reality. Mm. Uh, I think I watched around 150 Bollywood movies during <laughs> that time. Uh, that's what, like, all the shepherds would always come to our tent because I had a little uh, a thing where I would make, I would give out free popcorn, you know, I would just make some popcorn at around <laughs> four, and then people would gather in our little kitchen tent and we would watch some Bollywood movies, which, that's yeah, awesome. at the beginning I was just completely, uh, I was like, gosh, turn this stuff off. And later I was a big fan. So <laughs> I, I also have now my favorite, my favorite uh, Bollywood actors and, and I can tell you all about the different, <laughs> the different that's movies awesome. that are out. Um, but it was, you know, the, the, when you, when you're from our society and then starting to really only have discussions about, um, yucks or how certain, 
spirits that are in the mountain are are following our expedition or you know just mm. just kind of really diving into their culture was a big challenge and actually a lot more challenging than I thought it would be because I've traveled a lot and I, I thought I'm extremely open to to other cultures and other people but this really was an experience that changed my life in a lot of ways and was mm. definitely um like I said, mentally a lot more challenging than, than physically in this sort of dynamic that I was in. And in the end, though, because like, that was a, the, your question, we mm. did make it to the summit. Mm. Um, we did make it to the summit on uh, May 25th, 2017. Excellent. And it was a beautiful, beautiful day. We actually slept two nights in Camp 4, which is considered the, the death zone, um, mm. waiting out a good weather window. And I already thought... I might have missed it because I called, I called it off the night before. It was just it seemed too windy for me, and I really didn't want to risk anything. Also because you know it's just the two of us, and we hadn't used oxygen up until that point. Oh wow! So we had a very limited oxygen supply. Uh, then going up from Camp Four to the summit, oh. the wind seemed too strong, so I called it off, and then the pressure was on because we were completely running out of uh, food and and everything else. So it was. Uh, we would have to go the next evening or just call it off entirely. And, and yeah. I felt under a lot of pressure uh, that, that day. And you're really at, in Camp 4. You're just in the camp, um, basically staring at the ceiling, which, you know, you have to imagine those, those kind of like yellow mountain tents. And it's just you're just yeah. staring at this orange, orange ceiling that's just being rocked by the wind outside. You're in a down suit in your big down sleeping bag, and you're kind of just breathing and staring mm. for hours and hours and hours, and you just hope for the wind to go down. And it finally, at around 6 p.m., did. Yeah. We got ready. I melted all the ice that we needed in order to have water, and we started oh. at around 11:30 p.m. and made it to the top at 7 a.m. Yeah, and that was uh, finally then my uh, successful uh, Everest summit after. Um, two very sad and tragic years oh. uh, that I participated in expeditions before. Well, I'm glad to hear that you made it. So then <laughs> I know this is like a two-month process to do the whole summit. So how long does it take to get up? Yeah. And then is it a quicker ascent down or descent down? Yeah, so down? what you do is, what you do is uh, it takes two, two months because you do acclimatize. So you have to do certain acclimat like certain acclimatization rotations. So you would go, let's say, um, you would take in our case because we were carrying all our own equipment. Yeah. You would take um, gear to Camp One, and then stop there for a little bit and go to Camp Two, mm. build Camp Two, spend one night in Camp Two, and come all the way back down to base camp, and then let your body rest because you know acclimat the acclimatization principles are uh, go high and then sleep low. So you're trying to really force your body to produce more red blood cells mm. uh, in order to to then when you come down uh, have your body kind of adjust to where you were at usually yes. it takes around six weeks to really acclimatize to uh, a certain elevation mm -hmm. which of course never really happened you like you never acclimatize to the summit of course or or to even camp camp three altitude but it does, you know, it does give the body an incentive to really produce more blood, red blood cells and then take more oxygen out of the air. So that, those sort of acclimatization rotations depend on the expedition. In our case, we did uh, three. So we would did, did the first one, we'd go to Camp 2, build our Camp 2, come down. And the second one would be going straight to Camp 2, spend a night there, 
and then go up to camp three and establish our camp three and then come back down to camp two sleep again and go all the back uh, all the way back down to base camp and that process would be like the second rotation would have been around five days on the mountain mm. and then really in order to pr uh, to to prepare for the summit rotation which is the last one uh, we went down all the way down to Jangbu's village uh, to really give our body the chance to recover from the stress and maybe mm. you know if that's what people do if they have if they catch some sort of illness because at that altitude, it's very difficult for your body to heal uh, anything uh, or to recover from anything. So a lot of people would come down a little bit again. Mm. I mean, go you know go down the valley uh, into lower elevations, and then uh, we did uh, here. There's a good summit window around uh, yeah mid-May, so we went back up and prepared. And then the summit rotation itself was another um, five days on the mountain. So going to camp two, then to camp three, establishing camp four, and in our case. Uh, having to sleep there for two more nights, and then finally uh, going to the summit, which took us, um, which took us around uh, six, no, seven, uh, seven hours from Camp Four. Holy cow! And then the descent is very fast. The descent is very fast. So you know, from Camp Four to the summit is seven hours. It's seven hours. Some people, for some people, it's twelve, fourteen. I've heard of sixteen hours. Uh, from Camp 4 to the summit, we uh, descended back down to Camp 4, and that is quite fast, as around three and a half hours. Um, and then, in our case, we, we we had to pack up all our stuff mm. and go down to Camp 2. You know, in, in, in the normal case, an expedition would just uh, dwell in Camp 4 for one more night on oxygen um, and then just descend with their uh, backpacks full of snacks and water and, and uh, mm. the Sherpas or other high-altitude workers would carry their stuff down. In mm. our case, we had to pack up our Camp 4 and go all the way back down to Camp 2, which took us a very long time. Um, wow. We I remember we were at the summit at 7 and then made it back down to Camp 4 around uh, 11 o'clock and packing up. Uh, I, I remember we were already kind of like falling asleep on a rock and, yeah. and just so tired. Um, and then we each had uh, backpacks of around, um, at the time, uh, backpacks of around 50 pounds. No, uh, that's that when you throw it. Three with. You throw it down the yeah, mountain. Yeah. yeah, I wish we could have thrown it down the mountain. But yeah, then we went back to Camp 3 and had to, you know, pack up everything there. We still had, had a, a tent there. Uh, so we ended up with around 70 pounds of gear oh. uh, that we had to, to carry down. And I arrived back at Camp 2 at 10 p.m., uh, the next day, so it was around, so it was around 24, uh, 24 hours that was, yeah, that we were awake and that this whole ordeal took. And then the next day, really, uh, just going from camp two to base camp back down um, was another like four hours. And, and yeah, when when we got there, we were just so happy and yeah. we couldn't wait to just get out of there. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I could go into a lot more questions, but let's get on to. <laughs> Something that listeners can attain and um, with slightly less preparation. Let's talk about Absolutely. the tours you lead to the base camp. And, um, yes. and let's talk about how many have you led to date? So I have, with groups to base camp, I had six groups so far. Excellent. Um, I personally, of course, have trekked to base camp a lot more mm -hmm. than that. Uh, actually, now now a total of uh, 12. I've been to base camp 12 times. Mm -hmm. And the sixth group I've led so far 
knocking on wood here, uh, I had a 100% success rate. So awesome. um, I really took people of all shapes and sizes, all ages to uh, to Everest Base Camp. My oldest um, client that I've taken last year was 68 years old and an avid mm. skier uh, who really had put <laughs> a, a lot of... Uh, stress on his knees so he usually has to ski with titanium mm. uh, braces around his knees and mm. does have a lot of problems but we you know slow and steady we made it all the way uh, to base camp with him Excellent. and um, yeah he was he was he was a total trooper but I guess my point is it is really for anybody who's just willing to take on this challenge it mm. doesn't matter how fit uh, you are if you're mentally ready to to really you know, put yourself out there and maybe sometimes be slightly uncomfortable. This is can be an amazing and transformational experience. And we're definitely there to make it a lot easier for you mm. and to help you support you all the way mm. um, to so, the camp. Yes. So when is your next expedition that you have availability on? My next expedition that I have availability on is in October. October is a great season to trek to base camp because mm -hmm. it is um, the route is not quite as busy as it is during the springtime because mm. the springtime also has all the climbing operations that are going to base camp. Okay. We, um, we will see no trace of any tent or of anybody ever, actually ever having been there when we get there in October. It's quite fascinating because the base camp usually is, is set up on the glacier moraine uh, just underneath uh, uh, Everest. Mm. And so when you get there in October... Um, there's no tents, and you really almost see no trace of it. And what it allows us to do in October is we can really go slightly into the Kumbu Icefall, which is this very famous feature of the mountain, the, the, the glacier that it kind of like comes down Everest. Um, and we'll be able to stand next to ice sarks and even set up a little uh, ice climbing course. Uh, you know, super, mm. super mellow, but uh, I had a lot of clients being very interested in that and, and really step, you know, in some ways kind of stepping on the mountain just a little bit and getting a feel for it, what it would be like. And that next uh, expedition, uh, that next, next trekking experience is in October, from October 5th to October 20th, 2019. Mm. I mean, what a cool place to say. I learned how to ice climb on Mount Everest. And, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> right. right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I want to point people to where they can see this trip. Um, you can, of course, get the link through the show notes, or you can go to www.anywhere.com slash plus slash trek hyphen to hyphen Everest hyphen base hyphen camp. Just go to the show notes and click. That's what you should do. But if you want to see what this is while we're talking about it that's where you can go so you know if you're at work and you want something to distract you just click on it you'll be fine all right so mm -hmm. carl um let's talk about um if people are looking at this page they've and they're going to consider this they will be comparing between providers they're going to notice that the price Absolutely. tag on your on your page is is higher can you talk about yes. um what's going to distinguish your trek and what people can expect when they're traveling with you to Mount Everest Base Camp. Absolutely. Yes, uh, when you look at our page, you will certainly see that our price tag is, in fact, higher. Uh, the thought behind that was to really bring something that we do with Anywhere.com, our regular uh, vacation 
planning and, and booking uh, platform, a planning service and booking platform. What we do there is we really want people to arrive with confidence and Another way to establish confidence and trust is to give them the exact price. There's no hidden fees. What you see is what you get and include as many services as possible in that. Mm -hmm. And what we did with our trek here is we included all domestic um, transportation, which includes the flight to Lukla, uh, which is considered the most dangerous airport in the world. Oh. Uh, but. You know, I've done it. I've done it now. I've done it now over <laughs> over uh, 12 times. So I'm I'm still here, and I, I always have a great time. But yeah, we include a lot of services that other providers would not. So one of them would be a helicopter ride back down from base camp. And I mentioned earlier, we really try to bring people there from all shapes and sizes and mm. ages. Um, and what I've noticed in the past is going down is so anticlimactic. And we have to do it quite fast. You know, you would have to go down in three days. Um, that a lot of injuries occur during that time. Okay. And we completely eliminate that with our helicopter ride down from base camp back to uh, uh, Lukla, from where we then take a domestic flight again. Mm. Uh, so that is one big premium feature that we offer. And in general, it's a premium experience. So really, the moment I pick clients up from the airport, everything is covered. We uh, bring them to, uh, to a five-star hotel in Kathmandu, and um, they will arrive there and see their little duffel bag full of uh, goodies that are good for the trek. We have uh, some anywhere gear, like a, a down vest and a fleece jacket, cool. and just a couple of things that are going to be very useful for the trek itself, and the duffel bag, which will hold all the trekking uh, gear. Mm. And then all the meals in Kathmandu are covered, and we really take people to some nice restaurants, mix it up, show also what the local Nepali cuisine has to offer, um, all sightseeing with uh, expert local guides and parts of our Anywhere Nepal uh, team. So we have, for example, uh, Vishnu, who is kind of our little uh, uh, Hindu uh, guide. She's worked with us for years now and takes people to the uh, Hindu cremation side uh, on one of the sightseeing days and really gives them insights on how people practice their religion there and how people, um, yeah, go about their, their, their daily lives. Okay. Um, another thing to mention on the trek is we do use the best accommodation and lodging in the valley, and there are significant differences here. So you mm. can find accommodation on the Everest Space Camp Trek for around five to ten dollars a night and then you would pay for the meals which would bring up a stay you know the cost of a stay would be around 20 to 25 dollars um this would be super minimal in all all regards um and we do quite the opposite so we stay at places that are around 190 dollars a night mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that have heating blankets real mattresses real beds and uh bathroom and shower attached to the room. So mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we really try to use all the premium facilities because I believe that you have to stay super comfortable in order to really uh, tackle uh, some of those challenges on the trek. You know, the more comfortable you are, the better it is. The more focused you are, um, you know, the, the more mentally uh, you can really challenge yourself. So I found that to be quite successful to really uh, try to pamper my clients as yeah. much as I can. And, you know, trust me, the higher we go, people will still uh, uh, suffer a little bit. And um, of course, that's part of it. But I try to minimize it with uh, offering all those premium and included services. So really, you don't have to touch your wallet once 
when I pick you up from the airport all the way when I bring you back to um, to the, the Kathmandu airport. Um, so all the, the price that you see there is what is, uh, yeah, what you, what you are going to spend. I mean, unless you spend, of course, a lot of money on, on the beautiful uh, souvenirs that you can find in Kathmandu, mm -hmm. um, that is going to be it. Well, a couple of things that I want to talk about, and as a uh, former backpacker and really talking to you is encouraging. I have, I have a heart condition, so not now, but maybe post-surgery, this could be something that I could do um, because I noticed that it says intermediate level of hiking uh, on the website. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but also just in my past, you know, backpacking experience and sleeping on the ground some places versus sleeping in a hammock versus a hostel. Sleep is so critical. And when you're going to be taxing your body that way, you know, having a, a high-end hotel to go and sleep on a real mattress is going to be really critical to having a better experience later on when you're trying, you know, when you're exerting your body in such a way. So uh, anyway, Absolutely. just my hiking background, there's my plug for that. Mm -hmm. um, separately. Yeah, you mentioned, oh, you mentioned your heart condition too. You mm -hmm. mentioned your heart condition. So mm -hmm. uh, that's maybe also, of course, another thing worth mentioning. Of course, we bring a certain expertise as a guiding team to this trek. Um, not only is, uh, you know, the trek guided by a Western guide, which is uh, me, um, but also the team has extent, extensive medical training. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a wilderness uh, first responder myself, and my team, of course, is, is certified in wilderness first aid. So we do also uh, make sure that any sort of medical em emergency or, or situation uh, arises, we're, we're, we're prepared and we're ready to respond to that. Fantastic. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, in the in the price, this includes a Sherpa for each person, correct? Yes, correct. So, I mean, just to correct you there, we oh, don't, sorry. We, you know, the Sherpa, no, no, that's okay. So Sherpa is actually an ethnic group. Okay. Um, so sorry. people Porter? in the valley, they are, exactly. So people in the valley, they are Sherpa. So, for example, my, my assistant uh, trekking guide, Jungbu, and climbing partner. So his name would be Fura Jungbu Sherpa. And it's okay. funny because all their last names uh, is <laughs> Sherpa. Uh, their <laughs> first name is actually, uh, just a little fun fact, um, the day of the week they were born. Okay. So you can imagine all the, like the last name is the same because that's the ethnic group. And then the first name is depends on the, the, the day of the week they were born. I have around 20 different Fura Sherpas in my phone, right? <laughs> because, they, you know, there's only five days in a week. Um, it's, it makes things sometimes slightly confusing, but yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, the, the, what, what we have is, is there is, of course, a porter uh, for each uh, Trek member. And the way that works is they will carry the whole duffel bag with all your, your, um, your but basically all your equipment that you don't need during the actual uh, Trek of the day. Uh, it holds all your personal items that you will find then again at the lodges. So okay. you carry only your water, maybe some personal snacks, because we also carry snacks for the whole team always that we provide. But if you, you know, prefer some personal snacks, fine. Um, yeah, and an extra layer. So your backpack is very, very light, and those porters will carry um, your, your personal items. And then some people ask me, well, hey, Carl, can I 
carry all the things myself because I feel bad for those mm -hmm. orders. You know, I don't want anybody carrying my, my, my stuff. And that is, you know, that's very kind. That's very nice um, to think that way. But this is actually very, very important for the local economy. The local economy depends on tourism, depends on those porter jobs. And especially for those porters, this is a very important season. And they actually feel honored mm -hmm. um, to carry uh, uh, some of the stuff to base camp and to be part of the expedition of our little trek. Um, they really are part of the team and they make a very good amount of money. When you look at the average Nepali yearly salary, which is just above $600 a year, uh, six, well, 650 to some in some areas, $800 a year, mm -hmm. um, it mm -hmm. is very good that one of those porters can just with one track of around uh, 10 to 12 days can make around 250 dollars up yes. to 300 dollars yep. so uh, it's a very important job for the for the whole valley uh, there is no road access the next road access is around two days trek down mm. from the airport mm. um, and the entire economy the entire community in the valley depends on those porters so it's not just us uh, that are using the porters. It's also local lodge owners that, you know, get supplies mm, um, mm. Or, build, or, or or do renovations. Of the, I mean, everything is being carried in, and yes. we're just participating in that. Okay. So also with the porters, are you using yaks? We, so this is also a feature that might make our trek a little bit more interesting than others. Yeah. No, so usually the treks do not use yaks. They use okay. porters. But okay. because I want to make this a culturally immersive experience, we actually organize that Jangbu, who is one of the system guides, um, brings down his yaks one day, okay. uh, and then in the morning I give every I give every uh, trek participant the chance to actually load up a yak with their duffel bag, <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool because you see the yaks on the trail and you always you know they look kind of dangerous and we always call them yak train uh, yak trains are coming and you know you always got to make sure that you stand close to the mountainside because um, you know if they have all this this load on their backs. Sometimes you don't know uh, if they if they kick you off the mountain. So, right. you know, you see them throughout the trek, and it's kind of cool to get up and close and get some more insights from uh, Jungbu, who is also kind of, you know, a part-time yak herder and yes. his father, um, loading those yaks and then uh, uh, trekking with them for one day is a, is a pretty cool experience, uh, which we offer. Um, and uh, usually, though, all your things will be carried by a porter. It's great for the porters too because they kind of have the day off. So for them, it's fantastic. They go ahead and 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 relax at the uh, at the next spot. They don't really have to carry anything. Yeah, um, that's awesome. It's a, it's a win win for everybody. I think for the yaks too, they enjoy it. I uh, they enjoy to have some some novice yak herders behind them. That's awesome. They're fun to look at too. So yes. besides guiding hikers up and down Mount Everest. Do you, how do you view your role? I've seen, I've read a few articles that where you've been featured, where you've been interviewed, where your past guests have blogged or written about your about their interactions with you, and it seems that yeah. from the very start, even before they book with you, um, you seem to be very hands on and very responsive uh, in your communications. So, would you talk about, you know, what how you view your role? other than just, you know, the trail guide? Um, as I said before, 
you know, with anywhere.com in general or with anything we do, we want to build confidence and trust in us, of course, but also in our services. And in my opinion, trust is a very, very big part of a trip going well. So me really being very hands-on from the very beginning is part of that process where I really want to communicate to the client that, hey, you know, we got this. We know exactly what, you're, what we're doing. Um, we just want you to be able to arrive with a positive attitude. And, um, yeah, just, just, just basically... Uh, giving them the ability to let go and, and experience something that might be super transformational for them or to really get to um, their physical or mental limits and, and guiding them through them. So my role in, in the trip or also in our organization in general is trying to bridge the gap between different uh, cultures and also helping, let's say, in this case, Nepalis to understand who's coming through their valley, right? We mm -hmm. don't just want to pass these uh, Sherpa houses. We want to, uh, you know, spend some time with them and also introduce ourselves mm -hmm. and really um, support the cultural exchange, which I think is so important, especially in those times where a lot of people are very ignorant, you know, and, and, and very closed off. Um, mm -hmm. So it, 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 it's a lot of personal pleasure to me, actually, to see um, my group, uh, interact with with the locals and having some moments and taking that home, you know, and being able to say, "Hey, I've been to Nepal and these people were amazing." Uh, you know, this was this was so unbelievable, and, and sure. this is something I experience in other trips that I plan. That um, it's it's kind of something that you can't plan for. You know, you can always. I, I know this hotel is great and people are going to have a good time there, or I know this tour really works. But the thing that really sticks with people is those cultural exchanges and mm -hmm. if I can if I can help to make them happen and and uh, uh, really support them then that is really uh, uh, yeah excellent. a big pleasure to me and it's something that I take back excellent excellent so what are some challenges that you have observed uh, that kind of sneak up on people what is it that people are not anticipating and that you could maybe help them now say this is coming yeah um, in general, when people see uh, the distance hike that we hike a day, which is, uh, let's say, an average of around 10 miles a day, um, although we do take a lot of breaks, um, you, you have to take into consideration that all of this is in altitude. Mm -hmm. So your body will, at some point, uh, feel not as strong as it does on sea level. And this sometimes is a problem, excuse me, for people that are quite fit on sea level. You know, I had several cases where people that are marathon runners or ultra trail runners uh, actually run into some problems on this trek because for the very first time they might hit uh, sort of physical limitations mm. that they can't really mentally deal with. That's yeah. why I'm saying the trek is 50% mental and it is super important to, to stay positive and just to also sometimes be okay with you know, being a little uncomfortable, having maybe a slight headache. Sometimes this happens. The altitude mm. can do that to you. Mm -hmm. And that is certainly something that sneaks up. But kind of what really, if I could give one advice is, if those negative thoughts are trying, you know, sneaking into your head, don't go down that spiral. Really try to stay positive and, and, and focus on uh, what we're trying to accomplish because that really is uh, essential. You know, mm. you, you, all bodies go through a certain process once they hit a certain altitude. And that is in somewhat uh, is, is actually genetically, I mean, that depends on your gen, uh, genes. 
how you are able to uh, adapt and how fast you're able to produce red blood cells. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I have mountain guide friends who uh, throw up at around uh, 12,000 feet, you know, just for a day because they have okay. their body has to kind of like go over that uh, threshold. So it okay. really can happen to anybody. Um, and, you know, just just being being mindful of that and also having the security that if that does happen, there's a lot of uh, different medication that you can take. And we, on our trips, we measure blood oxygen levels every uh, morning and evening them uh, through the acclimatization process. Our trek also is designed to, um, to really uh, acclimatize in a more conservative uh, approach. Uh, you know, we're, we're taking things slowly uh, and really try to make sure that everybody's on the same level uh, mm -hmm. once, we, once we're, we're, we're approaching base camp. Another thing that maybe sneaks up is people get very spoiled by the early uh, accommodations, you know, with the uh. heating blankets, beautiful bedding, <laughs> and mm -hmm. amazing food. And then, like, especially the very last two stops before base camp, they're, they're a lot more rustic, and you're already not feeling maybe as fantastic anymore. So just knowing that sometimes, uh, you know, you might, when you go to the room, it might be a little colder, uh, and you might have to use your sleeping bag. And, and, and you know, just being aware of that, that the higher we go, of course, um, the fewer services are available to us. Sure. Although maybe one thing that is important for, for listeners, Wi-Fi is available throughout the entire trek. That's wild. Uh, just some, <laughs> yes, I know, I know. It is, uh, you, you will have, uh, you'll be connected um, throughout the entire trek. That is and crazy. And be able to stay in touch with friends and family. Okay, that's awesome. That's really neat to know. Um, except for, will you be able to plug in your phone to recharge it? Who knows? Yes, you will. You will be able to. We also carry some extra batteries with us. Um, and that's another thing that usually other treks will charge for. Um, charging your devices at the lodges is, you know, an extra cost. And that kind of, you know, actually multiplies. So it's around $5 a device. Later, it can be up to $10 per device mm. uh, full charge. Um, so all of those little things add up on um, with a lot of other providers that, you know, are just kind of considered about initial price point with us that's included. So you're bringing extra snacks, you're bringing batteries, you've got all the medical supplies. You're kind of like the hiking purse. You've got everything. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's true. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we, we do have everything. We have yucks if you want to interact with them. You know, we have, yeah. we'll bring you to a local Sherpa house for, for, for lunch um, with Jungbu's family. Uh, yeah, I think. Oh, also, we, we do visit um, the local Lama in Jungbu's village. Mm. And people that are interested, uh, they can receive a blessing or receive a blessing for some of their personal items. Um, oh. If you don't, absolutely fine too. I think it's still an interesting uh, place to see. And um, yeah, that's another little interaction that cool. occurs on our track. So if you could take a minute, because I know we only have about a minute left, um, why? Why are some people taking this trip? What's been your experience as to the motivation behind people making this trek? I really had, you know, like I said before, people from all over the place and, and a wide age range. What I notice is for some people this has been on, you know, I really don't like the word bucket list, but this has been mm -hmm. uh, on their list for a long time. Um, they've been, you know, kind of dreaming about seeing those mountains or even seeing, yeah, seeing Mount Everest. 
Um, they maybe heard something about Nepal and really would like to trek there. But most of the people that come with me are not super avid hikers or, you know, or, or out in nature all the time. A lot of people, they're just trying, they're lo looking for something like for a break or for an experience that will give them a little bit more than just laying somewhere on the beach. So mm -hmm. um, having this sort of heavy cultural interaction, you know, a lot for a lot of people, Nepal will be the first time they're directly confronted with uh, Hinduism and, and Buddhism. Um, mm -hmm. Having those sort of having those sort of experiences, as I said, can be extremely transformational and has been for a lot of my group members. So I think it's it's a per, it's a mix of they want a personal challenge um, and they want to be in the presence of this unbelievable nature and its beautiful people. Um, mm. And that is something that uh, keeps me coming back over and over and over again. Yeah, and you shared two articles with me that I'll put in the show notes um, that we don't have time to go into right now. But one involves a, a very, well, they're both heartfelt. One is a guy that was um, struggling with depression another the gal had lost her parents and this yes. trick was a way to process through that in, in in a sense and they're very i think going reads. into it i think going into it initially it's not maybe something they expected mm -hmm. you know so that's mm -hmm. what i'm saying like well what do people initially expect when they come to nepal right it's it's definitely uh, i mean now i can say this is this is the right trip for people that are looking for maybe a somewhat transfer, transformational experience or mm -hmm. just some time to clear their head or to get a completely different input or different perspective um, on life. Uh, but in case of, yeah, my, my good friend Dean, we actually became good friends uh, after this trek. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's a, he's a great example of, 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 you know, he actually, um, I would not consider him, and if he listens to it, he will totally not mind me saying that, you know, <laughs> he's, he's not the, 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 the fittest also due to his job. Um, you know, he has a, has a, a, an office job and with a lot of stress and he manages a lot of people um, mm. and maybe didn't have as much time uh, to train for this. But he really showed not only uh, an incredible mental strength on the trek, but also such a positive attitude towards the locals and really an incredible openness. And yeah, he got, I think he got a lot out of it. And, and of course I got a lot of out of it because uh, this is, this really has uh, turned into a great friendship. Mm, good. Um, but this, this of course is so beautiful for me to see what it does to people. He ended up getting a tattoo of a mantra that is, um, uh, that is carved into the rocks all over the valley on our way up mm. to Everest Base Camp. And it means Om Mani Padme Hum, wisdom and compassion. So and it's that a nice was tattoo. a very beautiful, yeah. beautiful tattoo, yes. Well, um, last question before I let you go. Any warnings that you would like to offer people before they plan a trip? Um, any warnings? I think, of course, I am not a medical authority, so a warning would be, Definitely consult your doctor because any sort of pre-existing heart condition uh, should just be evaluated. I never had any problems, even with people that did have pre-existing even heart conditions. Mm -hmm. But I just want to make sure that um, you are aware of uh, what you're getting yourself into and also that your doctors kind of signed uh, off on the, on, on, on the experience. That would probably be the only thing. Um, of course, 
the flights are quite long depending on uh, on where you start from the U.S. But it is so worth it, and we're also um, very much willing to willing to help you with that. Uh, the helicopter ride not only helps us get back uh, down faster, but it really maximizes uh, our time in the country. And I think that's why we're able to offer this this trip and in 16 days door to door. So. Uh, yeah, and any other questions, of course, the listeners can always reach out to me directly uh, sure. under my email address, K, the letter, K at anywhere.com. And as we are running out of time, Carl, is there anything that I've forgotten that you would like to include? I will put all of your contact information, both in the show notes and on your guest profile. But before I close, anything I forgot or you want to throw in? Um, I think the only thing that I would like to say is uh, we didn't really mention training. Yes. Um, and, of course, I'm very happy to advise people personally on what they can do. Um, but generally what we said, don't be, don't be intimidated by this, uh, uh, by this challenge. The hardest thing really is to sign up for it. Um, sure. And, yeah, people would be amazed to see who else has already made it. Mm. And I think getting yourself there mentally and really signing up for this is the hardest part. Um, and, and then anything that comes after that, we're here to help and able to guide you all the way to the top. Well, thank you, Carl. I appreciate you taking a moment to record with me. This is great stuff, and I hope that people take you up on the offer. It sounds amazing. Thank you so much, Megan. All right, this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying thanks for listening and good night. This is a Trav Market Media podcast. Discover more travel industry oriented podcasts at travmarketmedia.com and be sure to subscribe.